You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Hey there, Monster Talkers. In this week's episode, we're diving deeper into the mysterious life of the platypus. If you haven't heard part one, you should go check that out. As a reminder, I'm not claiming platypuses are monsters, but they may be the closest thing in real life to the chimera from ancient Greek mythology, an animal comprised of the parts of other animals. We're going to learn about these animals and their amazing sense organs, their venomous spurs, and how they can also be secret agents who wear fedoras. Actually, you'll have to check the show notes to learn more about that last thing. But we're picking right up where we left off with Dr. Gilad Bino, who's been studying these creatures for a while and has lots to share with us. Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our monster talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. Monster Talk. I want to ask uh, Gilad, uh <clears throat> They're so cute. They're so uh, just. Uh, I think they're adorable-looking creatures. But I've heard that they're dangerous. So, could you tell us what happens if you touch a platypus? Uh, so, like almost anything here in Australia, it's uh, they're, they're you know uh, the wildlife here and plants are quite dangerous. Um, Often, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite often, yeah. It's uh, for me. Like I'm not. Uh, I didn't grow up in Australia, so I came from. Um, I came to Australia about 12 years ago, and um, maybe a bit more, uh, 15, 
uh, 15 years ago. Um, and like, yeah, like to, uh, come to terms that like it's the going out into, uh, the bush, what we call here in Australia is, uh, mm-hmm. can be quite intimidating. Um, everything here seems to kind of want to get you. Um, so platypuses, they have venomous spurs. And so the male platypus have these, uh, spurs. They're about 10 to 13 millimeters long um, on their hind legs. So they mm. have these two spurs on their hind legs. It's kind of on like where you would think maybe like the ankle, I guess, um, would be. Okay. Um, female platypuses are born with a tiny spur, like a vestigial spur, a remnant spur that disappears after about six months. And so the males have these spurs um, from, I've never been spurred. But from accounts of other people, um, they can carry quite a punch. Uh, being uh, envenomed by a platypus uh, can lead to excruciating pain for up to six months. Wow. So, yeah, it's like it's a muscle toxin. And so the, the pain oh, is like, it, like you, if you get spurred in the arm, you you know it would be immobilizing pain for you you just have to like uh i don't know splint your arm and and not try not to move it and apparently like morphine and painkillers they don't help wow it must be rare yeah. though for for that to happen like they don't yeah platypuses they don't um they don't go out for you so it's not like you'll be <laughs> swimming in a pool <laughs> and be surrounded by venomous platypus so <laughs> <laughs> stories to the that. contrary are spurious yep uh, <laughs> uh, nice one <laughs> um yeah so but you know when we're i that's a recommendation i give to anyone is like that you know avoid trying to handle a platypus and if you handle mm. if you have to handle a platypus so anglers you know if you go fishing sometimes you come across stories of uh platypus getting caught um and and unfortunately, like what what happens is that when that happens, the anglers they just cut their line, and then we sometimes come across dead platypus with fishing lines wrapped around their neck. And so, you know, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of it. like I, ideally, you'd you'd have to like reel it in and and try and take the you know the hook out of the platypus's bill. Um, but there's a way to handle platypus. So, um, really if, when I handle a platypus, it's, um, you know, mostly they're in the net or in the water and you really have to assume it's a male until proven otherwise. Um, and I, I hold them by the tip of the tail. Um, and that's really how to handle platypuses. Um, there's, I haven't talked about that maybe, but there, there, there's quite a, a difference in size variation between platypuses, males and females, and across their range. So, like I was describing earlier, how they extend, you know, from really tropical to alpine climates, and so the colder the the climate, the bigger the platypuses become, and so it's quite a, it's a, like in one of these like ecological. Uh, physiological laws in terms of like uh, thermoregulation of of animals in terms of the ratio of mass to size, um, and so down south and like in Tassie, the platypuses are much bigger 
Uh, they can they get up to about so a, a male platypus would be about 60 centimeters long you want to convert that to inches for our international listeners american listeners that is 23.6 inches so just under two feet yeah so you know that's with tail so but they, they're pretty big yeah um and and they the males can weigh up to like two two and a half maybe like it's kilos I have this funny story if you want to hear. Sure. It was like a scene from The Exorcist. So when I catch platypuses, you know, all my work is at night. We set nets. We go, we wait, you know, we check. We get that platypus. Um, and we take a, when, when we catch a platypus, we put it in a pillowcase and tie the pillowcase and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and put it in the car for safekeeping until... We're ready to what we call like process them to look, you know, go over them and check their condition and take samples and all of that. So we we, we just, I load up the car with platypuses and pillowcases so I can have, you know, six, six platypuses there. You know, that's the most, but usually it's, you know, two or three. Um, and I, so I, and I, I take them and I'll like wrap them in a towel, you know, because they, they're a bit wet. And so it's if it's cold or hot, like, you know, I, I monitor their condition and all of that. And I check up on them because when I'm ready to process them, I um, I don't want to stress the animals. That's like something that's been really important for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I anesthetize the platypuses. I've got this like mobile station and I knocked, I gas them out. Um, and then while they're sleeping, I can check them. So I can't do that while the nets are still in the water. So that's why I kind of hold them for a bit. And then, you know. So hey, we're there, side of the river, 2 a.m., waiting for, like, we're sitting by the river, by the nets. I've got already, like, a, a male platypus in the car. And I can, and I hear knocking from inside the car. And so mm-hmm. it's all, like, you know, pitch dark, head torch, upsetting the mood um you know middle of nowhere and i go to the car and i see that um the platypus has escaped from the pillowcase so it's in the car it's a male platypus big one big spurs um and it's it's running around in the car and so i was like all right i'm gonna have to go in there and try and get it. And so so I jump in the car in the like the passenger seat and I close the door behind me and now I'm like, I need to catch this platypus. And it's running around in circles inside the car under the seats. Oh. <laughs> and there was this, you know, I'm sure it was more terrified than I was, but um, hmm. there was this scene where it's clawing on like the it's it went up on the seats and it was like running around on like the sides of the car. And so I had this, like, it was like this, like, it reminded me of this, like, the exorcist scene, right? When it's, like, running <laughs> on the ceiling there. Yeah, and this, yeah. like, huge platypus, and I'm trying to, like, uh, catch it, and, you know, without obviously getting spurred. Mm. At, some, at some point, it started going under the, like, the front of the car and starting to tear the fluff and the electric wiring there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> fiery little things (laughs) yeah but at some point I just yeah so all right I give up there's no way I can catch it inside a car so I just opened the door let it out and then I caught it outside so that was the yeah but oh um, there you go (laughs) um but but like to go back sorry uh to go back to like the the why platypuses have venomous spurs 
so it's not it's not to we we don't think it's like it's not to defend themselves against predators um because otherwise you'd ask yourself then why don't female platypuses have venomous spurs because they they female platypuses are born with like a vestigial spur so it's not like a it's not, it's not. It's not like a full dimorphism. Yeah, exactly. The, like our, you know, prevailing hypothesis is that like we see that venom, the amount of venom, venom in the spurs increases during the breeding season. Uh, we okay. see males fighting, and we see a lot of scarring on males um, during the breeding season. And so our, like, you know, like the conclusion is that they use it to um, fight each other. Um, so male platypuses become territorial. Um, during the breeding season so like the definition between like a home range it's like kind of the area you inhabit versus a territory is like a place where you actually defend you know in terms of like a, yeah, like, uh you know like if you're living in a town obviously you're not very territorial about the town but you might be territorial about your home so platypuses during the breeding season become territorial and they'll fend off other males and fight for yeah so i'm, I'm sure they you know, they develop like in other animals, like they develop certain resistance. Well, that's what, yeah, exactly. Do, do the males have a resistance to the venom? I don't know how you would test for that ethically, but yeah, that'd be. <laughs> do they have a way of fighting it off? Um, that's kind of a, an open question, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, we haven't properly tested that one, but the venom, yeah, definitely. You would need to know how they would react to the, like, how do you know the pain indicators for a platypus? <laughs> to, you know, how do you know yeah. how it's responding? That's really interesting, though. Wow. When you look at an animal, it's really hard to gauge if it's in pain or not. Um, you know, you can try and look at like a behavioral change if you know what your baseline is. But like when you encounter an animal, yeah, it's hard to, to gauge. But I have this, uh, I once have, I have these nets that are, they're like chambered and they, they're a nets that are designed to funnel animals, in, platypuses into chambers that they can come out of. And so I, there was one case where I had, it starts like a bad joke, a male platypus, a female platypus, and a catfish. So that's... Uh, <laughs> the joke. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke, right? Like, uh, um, And so the in that situation, so so catfish, they they also have spurs. Uh, not spurs, what, spikes. Spikes, yeah. Yep, yep. Spikes, mm. right? Um, and, and yeah, quite quite painful um so i'm not too sure what what you know what went on there but when i retrieved the platypuses i did notice like the female platypus was quite um seemed very like sedated like she was quite docile uh for a very long time and so it's you know it's hard to know what went on there but it was there kind of during the breeding season so whether you know Maybe maybe it was spurred by a male or spiked by a plat- by a catfish, but uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, so the catfish was probably pretending to be a platypus. That's what I heard. They <laughs> <laughs> you can never tell who you're meeting on the internet. That's a fact. So, <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous place. I, so yeah. I one of the things I've read about is that platypuses have some sort of electroreception. Like they have the ability yeah. to use sense electricity underwater when they're hunting prey. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. 
So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah, the show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Yeah, so platypuses have a very sensitive bill. It's, um... And they're packed with uh, two types of receptors. One is um, like a, a, like you say, an electroreceptor that can pick up minute electric signals in the water. And the other set of uh, receptors are um, mechanoreceptors or motion sensors. So platypuses, they close their eyes and ears when they dive. They can dive for extended periods of time. They can hold their breath for like up to eight minutes. Um, yeah, they dive in and then blindlessly in terms of like, you know, eyesight, but they, they have these sensors. And so they pick up and and the way they forage is like, they go down to the, the bottom of the Creek or river and kind of move their bill from side to side. Um, and like move away, like, you know, put it in between leaf litter and between like submerged logs and and, and whatnot and and um, you know gravel and things like that, and they'll pick up those signals, uh, those electric signals emitted by what we discussed, like those you know all those spinous bugs in the water, uh, the big ones. Um, when I say big, I mean you know like about a centimeter, ten millimeters, um, or five. Yeah, so. Um, and they'll pick up on that and then they, it's, it's a bit like it's filter feeding almost. So when we catch platypuses, one thing that I do is they, they, so they suck, they suck their prey along with anything else. It's not very targeted in the sense, you know, they don't go like, like a shark, um, but they'll they're just kind of filter feed through that. And then they'll surface. And so platypuses, they don't have any teeth. They have these uh, um, grinding pads. Um, and so mm. they'll, incidentally, a, a platypus is born with a single tooth that they use <laughs> to tear through the egg. 
and then that tooth falls off. (laughs) (laughs) So weird, right? Um, So it's like this one-time tool. You just tear the egg, and that's it. Um, Yeah. So they uh, they'll mush up, they'll grind their all this like muck and and prey and things like that. And they have these cheek pouches in the sides of like. I don't know if you like. There's a bit of space there. Um, so I like when I catch a platypus, and I uh, it's like a sleeping platypus, and I open its bill, and I have this special spoon. It's like a cocktail spoon or something, and I like scoop out all that muck from their cheek pouches to understand what they're eating, and um, and and look at also like in terms of we've been studying like the impact of bushfires and droughts on 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 platypuses, and so one way is to understand how they're dealing with these like uh, extreme events is to monitor as well what they're eating and and food availability. So anyway, so we, we do that. And um, yeah, in the past, like, you know, researchers had to put all of that muck under a microscope and try and discern what's there. But nowadays we can use um, genetic genomics um, to really identify exactly what's there. So um, gives gives us a really accurate understanding of what they're eating. I've got like two hours worth of questions, but we're kind of running out of time. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, but I want to say, I think we've probably really, I hope, have inspired the curiosity of the many, you know, aspiring biologists in our audience. I know a lot of people are fascinated by nature and monsters fit right into that because they make us think about what's possible and what's not possible. And the platypus as an animal really kind of stretches the bounds of what kind of powers and skills a, a mammal can have. Um, yeah. I, 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 there, my, my last question before we go to our wrap up is this, I, how much can we tell um, about the platypus? How much of this is coming from like convergent, evolution yeah. like the the bill uh as a as a feeding mechanism obviously they exist on ducks but uh it, you know it, it here it is on a on a, on a platypus yeah. uh, what, what, what's going on there and like these these um, characteristics that they have how much can we get discern from the fossil record about the ancient versions like you said their receptors on the bill does, does the fossil record suggest that those receptors were there millions of years ago you know what's new what's old yeah. that kind of question so that's a little rambly but you see i think where i'm going yeah what were you asking yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> no I, i've got the answer so it's fine um <laughs> So, okay, yeah, like uh, leaving the best for last kind of thing. Huh? So uh, evolutionary-wise, uh, platypuses are part of what we call like the, the family, the, um, the monotrims. Um, and their closest relative is the echidna. Um, so the echidna is a terrestrial mammal um, that uh, feeds on... Um, like termites and ants and things like that. So its its closest relative is a, is a land-faring animal um, uh, with spines on its back. And it's like, like what you would, they can, is like a, like the Australian version of, a, you know, a, a hedgehog really, um, or, or a porcupine. Um, evolutionary wise, these, these monotrims, like our common ancestor in terms of the theory of evolution um, is about 200 million years ago. So when you're in terms of like placing how, where did the platypus come came from? 
we're talking about like our ancestor, our mammalian ancestor that like we share with the platypus was this like weird egg laying animal that shared earth with dinosaurs. So that, that divergent happened even before we diverged from marsupials, like the, um, you know, the Australian version of, of mammals. And so, um, because of that, like they have all of these, like, you know, like because their lineage is so like rooted deep in time, they have all of these like weird combinations of especially like being still an egg laying mammal and mammal being like they they still have the platypus have a mammary gland with secrete they secrete milk and the puggles those like baby platypuses they they lap the platypuses don't have teeth so they don't really suckle but they have they lap that milk uh, from the platypus i'm sorry did you Um, you say puggles i know so cute oh Um, it is adorable oh my god okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um and um also like i'm trying the collective noun of a platypus uh is a pandemonium of platypuses. oh that's wonderful oh that's great and so i thought it was gonna um, be platitudes yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> or a puggle, puggle yeah. and there is uh some some use puddle as well which is also it's very cute as well so yeah uh, you take a pick. Um, I don't think there's like a formal, you know, uh, collective nouns is really kind of this obscure thing. A quick insert about collective nouns for animals in English. I mistakenly thought this was a Victorian era invention, but it actually dates back to medieval hunting terminology. Schools of fish, flocks of birds, herds of horses. These feel pretty mundane, but they're all nouns that refer to a group of one class of animals. Concocting more specific terms became a kind of courtly entertainment. And even though these terms don't have a governing body of authorities who affirm the correctness of any particular word, it's not uncommon to run across lists on the internet that are written as though there were. And, it won't surprise listeners, there are a lot of puns made from such things. This practice is a kind of collective noun known as a term of venery. Now, this may cause some eyebrow raises for listeners who recognize that particular word as meaning a kind of sexual excessiveness, but an alternate meaning goes back to hunting with dogs. And I won't hound you with the mounting layers of meanings those metaphors suggest, but these lists do come up again and again. So you may find joy in knowing a murder of crows, a parliament of owls, a sleuth of bears, a congregation of crocodiles, and so on, but you're not likely to hear most of them actually used by the people who study these creatures. Still, if I had the strength, I would not be above throwing a group of stranded whales back into the ocean. After all, I am a podcaster. Yeah, so so to answer your question, the, the origins of the platypus is a, a terrestrial faring animal much bigger than what it is today like you like you the the ancestors of the platypus were these like big animals um that that were walking on land really and so i think the like all of these features of a duck bill and receptors and toe webbing 
platypuses have the second densest fur in the animal kingdom, in the animal world, right? So, you know, that's another feature. Um, they have these like very specialized, um, you know, fat um, that gives them a really good insulation. And so I, I would I would think that all of these are um, really like a convergent traits um, that are have been that have evolved to be adapted with, you know, the, the environment. And it's quite a, you know, in Australia, it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's quite a specialized niche. I mean, you placental mammals have been, are like considered like superior in a sense, if you put a, like a placental or a marsupial or a monotrim in the same place, I think placental mammals usually like outcompete the others. So, you know, it's, um, it's quite a specialized niche that is like a shared by, you know, fish and ducks and, um, yeah, but it's uh, some, I know like I've got a, a colleague of mine is kind of an evolutionary biologist, Mike Archer, and he, you know, some species can be considered as like dead end species. And so like they're a, like over time, the range of this family and the species have been contracting, you know, we're talking, you know, millions of years here. So, uh, you know, in perspective. So, but um, potentially it's it could be like a, just a, like a, a dead end for you know, for thinking about the millions of years to come um, and and life on Earth, like so, maybe like some platypuses will be outcompeted by other other animals and other traits. Wow. Well, we feel like we could talk about this topic for hours, and we really appreciate you coming on the show, Gilad, to to talk about this unique animal and all of the interesting interesting facts that you've shared. We've just got one final question that we want to ask you, which we ask all of our guests, and that is, what's your favorite monster? Oh, so many good monsters out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, corporate sociopaths, is that uh, considered a monster? Or? Every day. Yes. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> there's this uh, – no, no. Like, uh, I'm kidding, but there's um, – I would probably say I'm a. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I love uh, role playing and all of these kind of. And I'm like a tabletop gamer, and I do all of that. That's kind of my nerdy uh, aspect. But I would say, like over the years, playing Dungeons and Dragons, my favorite monster would be the Mind Flayers. Ooh, yeah. Uh, have you had that one before? No one said that no. before, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't. Yeah. No, you want to explain it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mind flares are these like um, scientific names mm, the illithids right <laughs> nice yeah good the illithids right uh, I can uh, maybe uh, yeah so they're like considered um, the scourge of sentient creatures um, and they have these psionic uh, abilities and they consume they basically feed off of people's brains mm-hmm. uh and they um can like, like zombies yeah well yeah but they consume like their knowledge yeah they they they, they take they take your identity and your knowledge and your everything and and then they suck it out of your brain and and they can mind yeah. control you and dominate you and and they have a wow a, a, they're usually they build a, a they have a hive mind leader yeah. right if i remember yeah. correctly yeah yeah the elder brain yeah. which they kind of yeah so everything they're doing oh, is scary. in service to that it's really it's it's super creepy it's super creepy the last <laughs> yeah, thing, good. 
I think one of them is one choice, of the then. secret rulers of Waterdeep, maybe, if I remember correctly. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nice answer, then. Yeah, very, very, very cool monsters. Uh, they have, Finisters, like, octopus yeah. heads on human bodies, sort of thing, humanoid bodies. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> have to check them out. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Within, within the, uh, the boundaries of copyright, we'll put some images in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah. sharing this time with us this has been so cool thank you such a beloved animal to australia and uh i just know i get asked about the platypus all the time here people think it's this incredible creature through to it's some kind of abomination so it's really fun to talk about this with someone who knows something yeah yeah (laughs) about the creature this will be a good augmentation that all my previous knowledge was from a, a documentary my kids were watching about two kids uh who were on summer break and they had a platypus as a pet Maybe you can teach Perry some tricks. Well, he is a platypus. They don't do much. They're the only mammals to lay eggs. Maybe he'll lay an egg. Cool. See you tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a Phineas and Ferb joke. That's a, yeah. <laughs> I have the, we have the one joke that we have is like, uh, what happens if you get spurred? Do you remember the 80s TV show Manimal? Oh, my God, yes. Manimal. I was just literally talking about that at lunch today. That is crazy. So, really? Yeah. So, so we have this. Uh, yeah, if you get spurred, you become uh, like a manipus. <laughs> and you can like transform into like a spurred creature. So you know, now you, he, he, he can become a uh, what is it? A, a falcon. A cougar, a black puma of some sort, <laughs> and and now also a platypus. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Which it turns out has actually got a lot of useful power, so maybe not the worst thing. So, yeah, uh, that is yeah. fantastic. Well, I hope you uh, have much success in your continued research. This is so cool. Me too. It's a really important yeah, research. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you yeah, as well for helping great. spur on the curiosity of our listeners, because I think you'll be inspiring <laughs> people to go learn more about these fascinating creatures. So, monster doll. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard the second half of our interview with Dr. Gilad Bino about the amazing platypus. Check our show notes for links to other things mentioned in the show. Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk we want to grow our monster talk audience and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five star reviews on itunes positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment monster talks a proud member of the airwave media podcast network home of such shows as the accidental creative and and the sit down. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for putting our word sounds into your ears. We really appreciate you making us a part of your listening life.
This has been a Monster House presentation.